Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing all right today. Um, just want to say that I missed, missed being here last week. Um, I was preaching, preaching at a church up in Boone, but um, I miss being home, so uh, it's, it's nice to be back. Um, I'm not going anywhere. It was, it was a homecoming message, just nothing. I'm not trying out for another church or anything like that. Um, so I'm, I guess I'm going to be here the rest of my life until I die, I guess. Um, my goal, my future goal, and I've said this before, is to, <clears throat> you know, get about, I don't know, 63 years old, bring in a whippersnapper, train him to take the position, and then sit in the congregation to give him, you know, grief the whole, the, for the rest of his ministry. It's kind of my, my goal for that. But no, had a great time there, but I'm glad to be back. I missed everybody. A couple of things I need to talk to you about is uh, that's going to be occurring this fall. First is a new Bible study lineup. Um, We are changing some things with the way that we're doing Bible studying here at the church. And so uh, this week, and you may have already got this in the mail, I don't know, but we sent you a card that lists the Bible studies uh, for you. Um, There's a men's Bible study, a women's Bible study that's going to be located in the men's Bible study is the second door on the left when you go down this hall. The women's Bible study is going to be the last door on your left because we felt like we needed to separate those two entities. Um, Then, I think that's right. Yeah, that's right. And then Stories and Signs is going to be in room 116, which is right here. That's the third door on your left. So you can go in and do that. And then Proverbs is going to be in the fellowship hall. So that's going to be our Bible study lineup. Uh, Come the winter, we'll have another whole set of of classes that you can take. And so a little bit different there. Um, On Wednesday evenings, once Awana and Fuel starts, um, we're going to start Discipleship 103 in room 114. And so that's for anybody, um, whether you've been a believer for a long time or whether you're just a new believer or whether you really don't know where you fit in it all, we're going to do Discipleship 103. You do not... You don't necessarily have had to take 102 and 101 in order to go to that class. So uh, I know the teacher, he'll, he'll be fine with it. So yeah, you'll, you'll do that. Another, another announcement is Awana. Um, there is an Awana workers meeting this Wednesday evening in the Fellowship Hall. If you are thinking about being a part of Awana, if you could just fill out your communication card and turn that in or let us know somehow, that would be great. You can let me know. Seth or Angie, and we'll make sure that you're on the list. Uh, Angie is feeding you that evening. I think you're having lasagna, so I think that's good. Um, Seth is also having a a fuel meeting on Wednesday night, but he's not feeding his workers. Um, They're going to (laughs) starve. Seth and I have a great relationship. But if if, uh, you're a fuel worker, you'll meet up in the fuel room, right? Is that correct? Yeah, in the fuel room at 7 o'clock. Uh, for for that, um, I feel like I'm I'm forgetting one one thing. Oh, small group meeting. Thank you. That's it. We we were going to have a small group host meeting uh, this uh, Sunday tonight. Actually, um, that is not going to happen tonight. It's going to happen on the twentieth. Um, my week sort of came off hinges. The hinges toward the end of the week. My best friend Josh Hill. His dad had a quadruple bypass surgery with a, a heart valve. He's 79 years old. So anyway, you don't want to know everything that happened. But a lot of stuff happened, and we need to make sure that our house is ready for you to come 
to the house that is very important to me, very important to Nicole and all that kind of stuff, and the house just isn't ready. You, you know what I mean? Everybody with me? You, you, there's a way that you live, and then there's a way you want people to think you live, and we, we're not the place where we want the people to think we live a certain way. Yeah, that's, that is that. All right. Well, this morning, our, our sermon is Crazy Things, and uh, it, it's crazy things, and there are crazy things that sometimes happen in churches. Do, do any of you know or have heard of Ray Stevens? Ray Stevens? He has one of his original albums, and I don't know if it's all of them are original, I guess, but one of his earlier albums had this song on it called Smoky Mountain Rattlesnake Retreat. Have you ever heard that song? It's a brilliantly written song. And um, it, it starts, I'm not going to do it like him, but it starts, he, he says, Well, me and Doris went on vacation. We decided we needed more than recreation, so we enrolled in a Bible camp retreat. And then he goes on through and he says how they got dark and how they wind up in the hills of Tennessee, and they saw this church that they saw, thought was the camp, and, and they went into the church and they set them on the front row. Okay, him and Doris on the front row. And the preacher preached and preached and preached until it was all he could take. All right? And then he says in, in this song, Then they pulled down the shades and things quieted down. This guy next to me punched me, said, Here, pass this down. I, I turned to look and son of a gun, he handed me a snake. Right? And so... Doris, she, she faints, and, um, and he goes into the chorus, which, which says this. All the night that me and Doris went running through the forest, way back up in the hills of Tennessee, yeah, we started making tracks when they broke out the diamondbacks. It scared the devil out of poor Doris and me. Um, so it, it goes on through, right? Doris, Doris is, Doris is uh, she's passed out, and the guy says that he's running down the aisles and jumping pews like if you would hit a golf ball in a room that has a tile floor. That's what, what, he's, what he's talking about. And then he goes into Doris. I'd run past Doris every minute or two, trying to shake her awake, but it wasn't, it wasn't no use. For a while I thought the Lord had called the poor thing home. Then someone dropped a big one in her lap, and Doris came to, and something in her snapped. She grabbed that thing by the tail and commenced to swinging it around her head. Then she gave it a crack, like a lash larue. The head came off and sailed across the room. Then she did a tap dance on the rest of them suckers till they all was dead. Well, I grabbed her by hand, and we headed for the car, and when she hollered to the preacher, I don't know who you are or where you came from or how you learned to preach, but let me tell you something. You don't know nothing about Rudd at a Bible camp. And me and my husband, we're on our way to Daytona Beach. It's a little fun. A little, little funny. Yeah, so, so crazy things sometimes happens in, happens in churches, and there are churches that actually handle rattlesnakes. We're not one of those uh, churches that do that, that handle snakes. Um, Oftentimes when I describe the church, our church and I say, well, we're different, we do things a little bit different, you get that look like, 
what does that mean exactly? And then I say, we don't handle snakes. We, we don't do any of that kind of stuff. So, so we are just fine. But there's, there's kind of weird sort of things that happen in churches. Um, I don't know how you feel about this. And, and so don't, don't take any offense to what I'm about to say. But um, TBN, which is the TV station with all the TV preachers on it, you know, the religious station, there's some stuff on there that's good. There's some stuff on there that, you know, you probably shouldn't listen to because it's not biblical, but nonetheless, it, it's there. And sometimes we look at them and we think, wow, that's some crazy stuff. Like, there's this one guy on there, and I'm not going to say his name or anything, but he has these, these red prayer cloths that are all laid out. And if you, if you give $1,000 or more, he will pray on that cloth and he'll send it to you, right? Uh, Ray Stevens also has a song about that sort of environment that, said, that says, would Jesus wear a Rolex on his television show? It's, it's just a great little, little number. And so you look at that stuff, and, and some of it's crazy, and some of it you're wondering what they're doing, and, and is it really all for show or, or what's happening? But, but you kind of wonder about that whole environment. Well, this morning in our text that we're going to look at, there's some very crazy things going on in this town called Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is, is a city that Paul was at for about two, two and a half years, and he ministered there, and he led a lot of people to the Lord. What you may or may not know about Ephesus is that somewhere in their past, a meteor had landed in the city and had taken out one of their temples. And so this meteor was in their city, took out a temple that, of a god that they had worshipped. So what they decided to do was they decided to make that, that meteor their god, and they named it... Or, Arminius, I think is the name, Art, Artemis, I think is the name, and they started making statues of her that represent, that looked like that meteor. Now, over time, this, this goddess, she changed to be more human-looking, but for, for a very long period of time, and in Paul's day, they were selling these rocks that looked similar to the rock that fell in their city, and actually, the temple that they went to worship this goddess in was was built around this meteor so people could actually go and see this meteor and then leave. So it, it created an environment in the whole city. Another, another thing about Ephesus is it was a political, power, a powerful political center in the, in the Roman Empire, Ephesus was. And so they, they had political power. And then they had a bunch of spiritual power. It wasn't just, just this meteor and they were worshiping this goddess that, came from this meteor, but they would do magic. And so, so this city of Ephesus was really entrenched in like dark art sort of things and, and kind, of, kind of weird sort of stuff like that. Oh, by the way, recently, I don't know if you know this, um, a group of about 1,800 people met in, a, in an arena to discuss the sacred text of Harry Potter. I don't know if you knew that or not that they, these 1,800 people agreed to discuss that as a sacred text. If you take that and kind of the weirdness of all of that and then you put it in Ephesus, they would think that that was normal. They had tons of books and tons of magic books that they knew there was something to them because they had seen magic before and they'd seen stuff happening and it was just kind of all weird, but they were really entrenched in it. So these people would buy magic books and keep them in their homes. You know, it, it was a very popular thing to do. So Ephesus is a very spiritual city that 
delves in magic and dark magic and all kinds of magic to kind of get some power. And it's also a city where this meteor came and, and they built a whole religion around it and they were really serious about that. And their whole economic system was around these magic books and around this meteor that fell down. And it was just a very dark, dark, dark sort of environment. And a lot of weird stuff went on in that particular city. Well, that said, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19, and we're going to be re- begin reading, I believe in, in verse 11, so uh, Acts, chapter, Acts chapter 19. Yeah, verse 11. So Paul is in Ephesus. He's been in Ephesus a while. He has had to leave the synagogue, and he, he's gone to this more public oratory sort of place where he could, he could preach and teach. And in verse 11, it says this, And God was doing extraordinary miracles, by the hands of Paul. Now, when we first read the extraordinary type of miracles, we're okay with it because we, we start thinking, oh, well, this must be healings. This must be, you know, demon possession. He's, he's getting rid of demons. He, he's doing some other stuff like that. So we're good with that. We know Jesus did that. It's okay for Paul to do that. It's pretty, that's pretty cool. But verse 12 says this, so even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Let me explain to you if you kind of missed that. He worked, Paul did, and supported himself. And it was a very hot job that he did. So he had these rags he wrapped around his head and then he would throw them off and go to the next one, there would be people that would stop by just to get those rags. And then they would take those rags to the people that were sick in the city. They would touch them, according to Scripture, they would touch them with those rags, and that sickness would be gone. Now, I've, I've done a couple of things in the last couple of weeks where I've had clothes that were, was like drenched in my sweat, right? Um, I thought about saving them and just kind of ripping them up and giving them to you today. One, one was in my attic. I had this war with some bats, 41 of them to be exact, and it's hot up in the attic. I don't know if you know that or not, but it, it totally drenched me, right? Just last night, I was putting up, a, um, I was putting up one of those uh, exhaust fans in the bathroom because one of ours had you know, kick the bucket, so I was doing that. And when you're up there working, you know, you get kind of sweaty. I still have those clothes if anyone's interested in them, smelling them, touching them, feeling them, whatever you want to do. I, I have those type of clothes. But it would be very odd for you to come to my house and ask me for my dirty laundry. Right? Wouldn't that be odd? And it would be very odd for you this morning if I said, as a result of studying this passage, you need to come get my dirty, sweaty clothes. And this, you know, on Monday evening, I'll be mowing the yard and you can have those clothes too. And just just take them to the sick and let them touch them and they'll be healed. It would just be kind of odd, wouldn't it? Be kind of odd. But here in this passage of scripture, this is definitely happening. People are coming, they are grabbing the rags that are around his head. And in fact, the apron you see there is actually a belt. So not only is he losing these rags and he's not able to clean them down by the riverside, he keeps losing these belts too. 
So he takes his belt off, he goes and teaches, and when he comes back, his belt's gone because these people are coming because they have a need. And they take this stuff, and not only does the sick um, get well, but demons come out of these people by the touch of these rags. Why is it that God works that way here, and he's not working that way in Frank? in Farmington Baptist Church, North Carolina. Why, why is that? If you will notice throughout all of Acts, there's only certain times that God actually works this way. And it has to do with the spiritual environment and what the demonic forces are doing at the time. I believe, and I know this to be true, that demons have immense power and can do wonders. And some of the wonders can seem like magic. If you've ever had an experience, and I haven't, I've just seen this remotely through, you know, stuff. Ouija boards work the same sort of way. Um, if that thing moves on its own, that isn't the God that created the universe. That is something else in your house. Are you with me? If, if, you, if you double in, in stuff like that, it's something else going on. And in the city, it was very prevalent. And so what God does is in these situations, is he sends someone like Paul and he does these miraculous events that no one can explain that, is, that far exceeds what the demons are doing. For instance, I would submit to you this morning that the demons were not able to heal people of their diseases. I would also submit to you this morning that the demons were not able to cast themselves out of people. But Paul comes to town and he starts preaching the gospel he heals a couple of people. They start coming to where he works during the day. They grab his rags, and they see that these rags are actually working. It's actually being achieved. And there's something to Paul. And so Paul comes to town. All he's basically doing is preaching the gospel. He is miraculously healing people when God tells him to. But they're coming to get his stuff. And all of a sudden, it, it, it creates an environment where you know, we have all these magic books and we've been worshiping this, this goddess that looks like a, a rock and, and it's just not doing stuff for us anymore and there, there is a greater power than what we have been worshiping. Are you with me? So God chose to work that way and he chooses to get people's attention in that particular regard. And it's very rare in scripture that he does this but he, he definitely does this, and he, it, it's, just, it's just absolutely remarkable. So verse 12, when it says, So even handkerchiefs and aprons had touched his skin, were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. So if you're in the city, and you are someone that is, you know, a Jew, and people are looking to you for spiritual power, and let's say that you're the head of the Jewish synagogue, um, and you see that Paul is uh, doing some exorcisms and getting rid of demons out of people. Obviously, according to this passage, what you do is you try to do it yourself, because you can't be one-upped. Let me tell you why you would do it yourself. They did not like Paul, and they needed to be more powerful than Paul. Right? Now, let me bring this home for you a little bit. People today are no different. All right? 
we're not necessarily doing, and churches aren't necessarily doing um, acts like this, but there are people that when they come up against power, they're going to try to figure out politically how to become more powerful than that person. Are you following me? So some person comes to town or the or a church gets a new preacher or, or somebody comes in and they start doing something. I don't know what it would be. And then this individual over here feels slighted because they used to be the religious leader and now they're not. So they begin to come up with ways to one-up the guy that actually God sent or, or this guy that's doing miraculous things instead of, instead of accepting it. So these religious leaders that didn't like Paul needed to make sure that their city knew that they were just as powerful as Paul was. So this is what they did. Verse 10, 13, I mean. Then some of the um, inerrant Jewish exorcists undertook to involve the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva we're doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was the evil spirit leaped on them and mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was exhausted. Now listen, that's funny. Come on. That is funny. These guys go into this place, and they're like, yeah, I can, I can do an exorcism. I'll just use the name of Jesus and Paul. So they, Jesus, by the name of Paul, come out. Demon looks at them and says, I know both of those people, but I don't know you. And he jumps on them. And somehow during the conflict, they lose their clothes. Have you ever seen girls fight in high school? <laughs> it's like that, but a little worse. You know, guys punch, but girls, I don't know what they're doing. They have nails and they scratch and, you know, anyway, that's way back. That takes us back, doesn't it? Northwest Guilford did the corner. There's two girls going at it. And you're like, oh, wow. But nonetheless, that's what happened. So here, here are these demons and they jump on them and they, they go out naked and it makes the headline headlines of the news, and fear falls on the city. Why is God doing this? Why is God doing this? He's doing it to get the attention of the people who are in darkness that is darker than anything you can imagine. It is darker, and I know this is hard to believe, it's darker than anything America has ever experienced. It is, it is just dark, and they're so far into it that God uses these miraculous events to shine as a light through the Apostle Paul to reach these people for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what he's doing. So the question comes up from all this, where does the power come from? The people in the city, where does the power come from? Where can we achieve power? Where can we get power? Where does the power come from? Well, the power comes from God, but when it comes to the Apostle Paul, his power that he had was in his words. I want you to jump down to 19 verse 26, and this is what it says. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded 
and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. That is a pretty powerful statement. Paul, with his mere words that he's saying about the gospel, has caused some people to really like him and has caused some people to really not like him. When you start proclaiming the gospel and when you start giving the words of life to people, there are going to be some people that really, 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 really like you for it. And they're going to jump on board and they're going to follow God and they're going to do whatever they need to do. And then there's going to be other people that are totally reject the gospel and and totally push against you and totally be your adversary. I would submit to you this morning, if a preacher doesn't have some enemies in the community, he's not doing his job. I would also submit to you this morning, if you don't have some enemies in your life, you're not doing your job proclaiming the gospel. You're not doing it. We can't be nice to everybody. Well, we can be nice. Let me back up. We can be nice to everybody, but that doesn't mean that everybody is going to be nice to us. And Christians of all people should not be the ones that somehow compromise their beliefs and just don't stand for anything at the end of the day. Sometimes Christians are the only people in the room that has the light to share to people so that they can see the truth. And you stand for it. Here in this passage of Scripture, Paul, the power of his words, could portray people, I mean, could persuade people to follow Christ, and it could also persuade people to go against Christ. When you left Paul's presence, you had a choice. Join Jesus or don't. Join the gospel or don't. You, You had that choice, but you definitely knew where Paul stood and you were definitely for him or against him, there was no gray area at all. And we as believers need to be somewhat of the same way. We're kind to people, but we stand for what's right. We say what needs to be said, and we stand for what's right. We don't compromise. God has never compromised his word a single time. A single time. He's always the same. And just like God has enemies and God has people that are friends, um, so will we. Now, what are these words about? And I kind of already gave it to you. It's about the gospel. But look at verse 23. It says this. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. The way is the way to say Christians, the Christian way. But they called them people of the way. The way to what? The way to heaven. The way to live. The way to live righteously. The way to live according to God. It was was the words, those were the words that he was demonstrating. He would also say this in verse 28. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Arminius of the Ephesians. He had words about God. Um that they were just things made with hands and they weren't really real, that they were being led astray. And so when they heard this, they went against it and they shouted, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and, and the rest of the bunch. 
Why were they upset? Well, they were upset because earlier in this passage, there were people burning books, the magic books. There were people that no longer were going to the temple. There were people that were saying, this stuff, we've, we've been lost for way too long, and our lives are changing. We're going to live a different way. Now, let me back up here. I'm not saying that you should go home and grab a bunch of your books and your old CDs and your stuff and throw them out the door and burn them. That would do nothing in Farmington, North Carolina. That would do nothing at all for them. It might do something for you, but there's a trash can if you need to get rid of some stuff, right? There's, there's some different ways to get stuff out of your life. But for this environment, for the books to be burned in the city was to make a statement. We are no longer living that lifestyle. There was a group of people that were in darkness. God did all this miraculous stuff. He drew them to him. They listened to the words of Paul, which was extremely powerful, and it drew them out of that darkness, and they changed so much that they could no longer have their set of magic books. Can you imagine being a college kid in Ephesus? You go up to a door, ding dong. We have an encyclopedia of magic here. Um, each month you'll receive one to your very door, and uh, they're only thirteen ninety five plus shipping and handling. Would you like to do that? And the kid, you know, is kind of. Have you ever had that kid come to your door selling encyclopedias? Yeah, have you? I have three years ago. Guy came to guy came to the door. College kid. He's he's selling these encyclopedias, and after he's done, I looked at him and said, um, "Where do you look up all your information?" on the internet, okay? And why do we need these encyclopedias? I'm not really sure. <laughs> I said, right. I think you should look into companies that sell knives or something else, you know, something that you could sell at the door that women would want, but encyclopedias just, these aren't really that special. And so he, he left, and I guess he resigned and lived a better life from that conversation, but I did tell him that. Because I, I don't know, maybe I was just in a mood that day. I don't know, I normally don't do that. I normally just say bye and go on. But nonetheless, anyway, encyclopedias. So encyclopedias of magic. They were taking these books that they had invested in and they were burning them. Their lives were changed. Now, if Paul was here today and he could tell you anything, anything he wanted to tell you, What would he tell you? If you lived in, envir in an environment like Ephesus, and he knew that his very rags were going out into the streets, and they were healing people, and he knew that if his shadow walked by and people were healed, and, and he knew that he could raise people from the dead, which he's going to do a little bit later in this passage. He could raise people from the dead, and he could do all that. And, and he had time enough to just share with you really where power came from and what you should do in order to obtain that power, what exactly would he say to you this morning? And I would submit to you that he has already said it in a book that he wrote called Ephesians. So I want you to take your Bibles this morning and flip over to Ephesians, and I want you to see how you can live your life with the same power that Paul lived his in. Because he's going to tell you what is really, really, really important. 
we could have done any of the, these chapters in Ephesians. I just chose chapter 5. I want you to look, and I'll just, I'll just read some of this. It says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is, who is covetous, that is, an idolater, that, has no, that they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. If Paul was here this morning, his lead-in would not be, guess what cool thing just happened? People have been coming to my house, taking my rags to their houses, and those people are healed. He wouldn't even tell you that story. The only reason that we know that story is the Holy Spirit wanted you to know it, and Luke put it in his book, Acts. That was the furthest thing from Paul's mind. What he would tell you this morning is where real power is, is when you as a believer walk in the light instead of the darkness. That is where the real power is. It's when you decide to give up all the sin that you want to commit and that the world is committing and that the world wants to drag you into and instead of walking in the world's darkness you walk in light you walk in light seven through nine therefore do not become partakers with them for at one time you were in darkness but now you are light in the lord walk as children of light for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Where is the fruit found? In all that is good and right and true. Light is not found anywhere else. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. How do you expose the works of darkness? By being light and not doing the works of darkness. That's how you expose them. No, she is not in this room. My daughter. But I'm telling you right now, there's some things that she can't wear out of the house. And it's not because... Well, it is because I'm her dad. I'll own that. Right? I'll own that one. But there's a, a way that the world thinks, the way that they feel, the way that they view things, the way that they see things, and there's certain things that people shouldn't wear, even though her friends are wearing them. There shouldn't be things that she wears outside of the house. Now, I have a different daughter. I don't know if you know that. She's different. She's not girly-girly. We didn't have anything pink. Now, she's a girl, and she'll tell you a she's a girl, and she's not going to change that. 
Okay, I just want to be straight up and honest with you. She's just not going to change that. And she'll be very emphatic about it and probably a little upset that you would even uh, mention that to her. But she's, she likes guns and she likes bows and arrows and she likes trees and she likes knives. And if you ever date her, you better not mess with her because she can take you out. <laughs> she can. I, in my, in my, in, not to, but in my arena, I'm more scared of her than I am Quinn at this point in time, and he is too, and she's just that, that, sort, of, that sort of person. But, but my point is this. When she leaves the house, she can't look like everyone else. She, just because people are wearing less clothes to this particular event doesn't mean my daughter wears less clothes to this, to this particular event. There are things that we do not allow our children to go do because the parents aren't home. Now, I don't know if you've ever I don't know if you've ever been in high school before. I'm assuming you have and you graduated. Right? I'm just making that assumption for everybody in the room. But there's some parties that are not parental oversight, and they're just not not the ones that I want my children involved in. Because we are liked. Why didn't you go to the party where there wasn't any parents there? Well, why did why does that matter? You can't have any fun while the parents are there. Right. It is that darkness that we are trying to avoid. Are you with me? And I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to say that there's a self-righteous. I'm, try, I'm not trying to be self-righteous. I'm not trying to be like that. I'm trying to communicate to you, there is a way that you walk in the light, and there's a way that you walk in the darkness. And you know the difference. And when you participate with some things with, with your friends and with your neighbors and stuff, you know that you're in darkness. And when you participate with other, other friends with certain events, you know that you're in the light. There isn't a person in this room, especially those that have Jesus Christ inside of him, that doesn't know the difference. That doesn't know the difference. I think, I think it's interesting that we, and I have it, look, I don't, I don't know much information about all this stuff, but I'm going to say this. I think, it, I think it's interesting that we always w- look to our political leaders and the leaders of the country to condemn things. To actually say that that was wrong, to say that those people were not supposed to protest in that way and we're totally against them. I think it's interesting that we want them to do it, but at the same time, we live in the very darkness that we want them to talk against. Look, I don't know if, if our president and if our co- people in Congress, if they're saved, if they're not saved, I don't, I don't know. I have opinions. I just, I just don't really know at the end of the day, and it's nothing that I would like to proclaim, but this is what I know. If you and I are Christians, it doesn't matter about them. We are to be the light of the world. We are to walk in the light and follow that path. If Paul was here today, he would say in the darkest environments in your culture, the thing that you must do is walk in the light and not team up with the darkness. Stay away from the darkness, tag into the light. And he will list sins for you to stay away from. Lying, sexual immorality, drunkenness. He he would just go on and on and on and say that that is darkness, but this is light. And light is when you're giving thanksgiving to God. Light is when you're doing good for other people. Light is when you're living true love, not fake love, because we have a terrible definition of love and culture today. When you're living true love and you really love and concern for people and you go out in, in life and you're trying to do things for other people's benefits, for the benefit of all of mankind, I guess is a better way to say that. Are you with me, church? You walk 
in the light. In Acts 19 and also in Ephesians, uh, it, Paul talks about this thing called the kingdom of God. He, he says the kingdom of God is like this and the kingdom of Satan is in darkness. He will say in Ephesians that we are of the kingdom of light and we are not of the kingdom of darkness and we should live as if we're in the kingdom of light. Why is that? Why is that? Because what the world desperately needs is a light at the end of their tunnel. And we are that light. Come on. We are the light at the end of the darkness in this world. This world is going to pass away and the sin is going to pass away with it. And the people that choose to be lost and be in the darkness for the rest of their time are going to go to a place that is not fun at all and that will be very, um, very hurtful to them. They will be tormented. This world needs your light. This world needs you to live like you're supposed to live. This world needs you to be the positive force in this world and not the negative force. It needs you to be the one to say, there is something more than what you see. There is something more to the than the darkness that you live in and, and everything that you're trying to find on your own. There is something more in this life. Be the light because that light is what brings people to the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is light. I was, um, I've been around, been around, uh, anyway, I was, I was with, someone this week, and um, I don't, I can't even begin to comprehend the way that this parent feels, but basically she, she um, was having some trouble with her teenage daughter. Teenage daughter was 17 years old, and she sent them to Greensboro, paid $250 for this psychologist to talk to her to try to figure out what's wrong. Um, during that meeting, the psychologist gave her daughter the papers to change her sexual identity. And so she, she filled out those papers, and she, she changed her sexual identity to, to male. The, the shocking thing of that it, is that where was, where was the light? Do you know what I mean? I mean, I know it's shocking that that happened, but where, where's the light? So what do you, what do you, how do you respond to something like that? What, what do you say? How, how do you become light? Do you say, well, you shouldn't have let your daughter do that? Should you, what, I mean, what, what do you say? You say, how, how, how are you sleeping at night? Look, the mom already knows it wasn't the right thing. It bothered enough for her to tell me. Are, are you with me? She said, how are you sleeping tonight? I'm not. I cry myself to sleep. I cry myself to sleep. Well, here's what we're going to do. You need to find a church, and you need to find... Um, Grab a hold of Jesus, and we are going to pray through this, and maybe one day she'll change back, and maybe she won't. But this is your moment to grab a hold of God 
and lean on him because you need him to get through this emotional nightmare. Right? You, you need Jesus. See, I can't save the daughter. I can't save the mother. My point is, I can't witness to the daughter. She's not there, but the mother is. You sympathize and you point them to Jesus. Not in a, well, you're a bad parent sort of way. You know what I mean? It must be your fault because you are a sorry parent. It doesn't matter at that point. What she needs is she needs a good church that focuses on Christ and she needs Jesus so that they can get through this. I don't know if one day if the daughter will come back or not. I have another story for you. Same sort of deal. The, uh, they sent them to the same, same place in Greensboro. God, I grew up in Greensboro. Sent them to the same place in Greensboro. The daughter filled out the papers. Two months later, they went down to Charlotte to make the change happen. After the change happened, the daughter fell into her mother's arms and wept because that's not what she wanted. We think that the darkness isn't as dark as it really is. We think that if we walk in darkness a little bit and then come back to the light and walk in darkness a little bit and come back to the light and walk in darkness a little bit and come back to the light, that somehow or another that's okay. But I'm telling you, it's not. What America has needed for a very long period to, of time is not necessarily a new president, a new Congress, uh, new political leaders. It's not that. What America has needed for a long time is Christians who on a daily basis live in the light. You want to turn this country around? Live in the light. You want to see things happen to where people come to the light and come to salvation? Live in the light. Live in the light. Now, am I saying in any way that it is, it is your fault or my fault that this happened to these two families? I, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is I think our communities would be a different place if you and I would live correctly. That's what I'm saying. If you and I would live correctly, our communities would be different. Our government would be different. Our school system would be different if you and I live differently. Once revival starts to happen and people really start living in the light like Jesus wants them to, it changes things and it changes environments. In Ephesus, by the time Paul leaves, he has totally turned the majority of that city toward Jesus Christ by the time he left. And all he was doing was teaching them the gospel, teaching them how to live life, and then he wrote to them to encourage them to keep on doing it. The question is, do you really believe that your life, by living in the light, can change things? Do you really believe that? I'll answer that question for you. It's not your power that changes it. It's Jesus. So the question isn't if I live a certain way 
will I really have the power to change things? No. The question really is, do you trust Jesus enough to live the way that you're supposed to so that you can be a light in a very dark world? Are you following me? That's where the power is. I will take people being baptized and proclaiming the name of Jesus any day of the week than to you coming to my house and grabbing rags and trying to heal people with them. Right? But that takes effort and it takes us all living in the light. Now that I have pounded that to where you're like, if he says it one more time, oh, it's going to really irritate me. That is the end of the message. Let's pray.